Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now, here's your host, Ed Misogland. Good morning. Uh, this is Ed Misogland, managing partner of Indiana Business Advisors. Uh, this is our, our second office hours that uh, we open up our shop that uh, we're for for questions that uh, that concern buying a business selling a business the value of a business and the general process uh, especially in this in this current economic climate uh, today I'm joined with Jamar Cobb Denard as well as Larry Metzing so w- welcome Jamar would you uh, mind uh, giving a little high level uh, overview of yourself and uh, and and the things you're doing in the practice. Sure thing. So I uh, started in consulting and in leadership and sales consulting in 2003, and uh, spent that time really serving small businesses, helping some of them increase sales over 40. Uh, percent Then got my law degree and graduated in 2018. Uh, ran for mayor of the city of Lawrence and earned 49 percent of the vote. Uh, now helping buyers and sellers uh, close transactions of their business to uh, not only pull cash out of their companies, but also um, grow through acquisition. Well, we're glad you're here. How about you, Larry? Uh, Larry Metzing. I've uh, been with uh, Indiana Business Advisors now for close to 40 years. Founded it in that period of time with Dick Hester, my partner. We've been doing small and medium uh, size business transactions now during that period of time and have done a couple thousand plus. So we've got a lot of background and experience uh, in addition to doing uh, a lot of business deals for uh, Indiana business advisors. I've done a few for myself. So I have stepped into the shoes of both buyers and sellers on multiple occasions. So it gives me a little better feel for how the process goes and what you all feel on the other side of the equation. So I think what we would like to do is just uh, answer questions today that you all may have regarding, you know, what's going on during this um, uh, pandemic and how our businesses uh, reacting to all of this. Are there buyers? Are there sellers? And has the process changed uh, as a result of all of this? So hopefully we'll be able to answer some of your questions today. Yeah, and speaking of uh, questions, if you uh, in it, if you have questions uh, in the chat box, go ahead and put those in. We're monitoring that. Uh, our marketing director Chelsea is uh, also on the back side of this, uh, keeping an eye on it. Uh, we did receive a number of questions prior to um, prior to the webinar that we'll, that we'll begin with. But like I said, if you have questions as we go through, uh, please put them in the chat box. So with that, uh, why don't we go ahead and get started? Um, the first question we received are, what are the financing options to purchase a business today? Larry, I, I think you're knee-deep in the middle of that. I would say we are knee-deep in the middle of that. I don't think, I don't think the options uh, have changed dramatically yet. I, uh, the, the options that were historically available to us, obviously, you always have conventional bank financing, uh, you've got SBA financing, which has probably been the most prevalent financing tool that we've used in the last, uh, I'd say, 10 to 15 years. Uh, a majority of the transactions under $5 million that we do are typically financed with SBA financing. And there are some other, I would say, more creative financing, whether that's seller financing or some sort of earnout, uh, performance-based payout. But uh, I think the options have changed. Uh, I feel like the SBA money is still there today and readily available, although everything that we read with the uh, PPP program and the CARES program and the amount of money that they've allocated the SBA, it feels like there is concern that some of the SBA financing um might not be available or as readily available as it has been before, but only time will tell on that one. Um, there's talk about uh, the fact that they may run out of 7A money, and 7A is the program that we typically use for acquisition financing, and 
they're talking about the fact that they may run out of allocation on that. They're working to get more allocated, which we hope will happen. And at the end of the day, uh, they may change some of the uh, some of the criteria, some of the SBA underwriting criteria uh, to require a little more equity than they do today. They may also open up the opportunity for some performance-based payouts in the form of earnouts that they haven't had before. So I still think those tools will be available. I sense that some of the underwriting uh, has uh, tightened up a little bit. Uh, I heard, I don't know whether there's any uh, fact to the rumor that one of the major banks has basically pulled back uh, all of their SBA financing, anything that they have in, in the queue today. And even if it's gone through underwriting and been approved, they're pulling it back to take another look at it under the current economic circumstances to make sure that it still makes sense, that the numbers still work. So I think you're going to see a lot of moving parts as it relates to SBA financing over the next 60 to 90 days. The really good news is if you do get SBA financing between now and I think it's September 27th, that uh, if you close the deal between now and then, it's my understanding that under the CARES program, there will be six months of forgiven payments. So your first six months of payments are forgiven, and that is about as unprecedented as the times that we are in. I, we've never seen a situation where the government picks up your first six months payments. So that's a huge benefit. And then if you combine that with the PPP program, uh, there's some real benefits to buyers today with SBA financing on an acquisition. But I, I still think, I think even if we evolve and we don't have as much SBA financing available, We'll, we'll end up doing more seller financing, just like we did before the SBA was so prevalent. Yeah, that. what does your crystal ball look like? I mean, I, I remember when, when we went through the recession last time, I mean, we still had conventional financing. You know, it, it was yeah. not a, it, it may not have been the, the capital was, completely as available as it is today, but it was still available. So, I mean, what does your crystal ball say? What, what, what do we look like uh, a year from now on, on business financing? Uh, you know, I, I wish I had that crystal ball. I don't, I, I think a year from now, I, I don't know. Uh, so much of it depends on what happens. And I think in the next three to six months, second quarter, uh, third quarter, if things can recover and we can get back to, financing normal, meaning we've gotten some of the pandemic under control. Uh, I think you'll see SBA financing as prevalent as it has been in the past. Yeah. It, it's a great tool. And there are just too many businesses in America that are going to change hands over the next 10 years. You've got to have some financing to facilitate that. So I, I don't hey, I don't think it'll look significantly different. Anyway, I've heard a lot of feedback from uh, small business owners that um, the PPP pipeline has slowed down their SBA applications or, um, uh, you know, their, their bankers are so busy uh, dealing with all this other bailout stuff that they're not able to get new deals done. Um, what have you seen in the marketplace about people being able to actually get transactions done based on pipeline? I think it's really tough. Um, you're right. Uh, every banker is absolutely swamped right now with the PPP applications, the CARES applications, but especially the PPP program. So they're buried. A lot of them are not looking. Some of them are not looking at new loans. I've got two right now that are looking at new loans. But the big issue is just uh, getting them to allocate some time to that. Well, but yeah, it's definitely slowed down. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. And on top of that, and we, we follow the uh, international business brokers association and there's currently a petition going around that, you know, so much of the budget has been allocated to the PPP and the disaster loan component, which, which again, that it, I'm not saying that it doesn't have merit, but the budget for seven, a and five Oh four loans, uh, 
is is going to be um, eaten up by June 30. So uh, I think it's Marco Rubio from Florida is is chairing that committee to again go back to the well and and get additional funds for this you know the greatest wealth transfer in history. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be a real interesting run here in the for certainly for the next six months maybe to year end to see how how this whole thing plays out. Um, I'm optimistic. I mean, I, I think uh, to see what the federal government has done just to keep companies afloat. I mean, that's a, those are, you know, there'll be casualties, but nevertheless, it, uh, it, it could be a lot worse. All right. The, the next question that came in um, is what should I expect from valuations as a seller with the up, with the upcoming economic slowdown? Either one of you two. Ed, want to- Ed what do you think? Oh, you're the valuations uh, guy. Yeah, I mean, what, the, what's your crystal ball look like? <laughs> yeah, quid, <laughs> quid quid pro quo. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, the the tough part with valuations is that you know there's no empirical data to to surround yourself um, on on guidance. I mean, we we've got seven or eight valuations that are backed up here that you know we're trying to provide you know sound guidance on what to do and how a buyer will react. Now we know that just by virtue of this pandemic that it is it has stress test tested a number of businesses. So the ones that have prevailed and have come out of it, you know, do they warrant a premium? I'm not certain that they do. Um maybe, but I, I'm not certain that that's the case. Um now as we look at business valuation, it's it's based it's based in three buckets you have earnings you have risk and you have expectations so earnings we know are going to to perhaps have changed we know we'll have to adjust for for non-recurring expenses associated with with um with the pandemic uh maybe you know lost revenue lost uh earnings or perhaps uh income that's been received from the federal government um, things like that that we have to make adjustments for. As far as risk goes, um, it depends on the business. the The risk associated with with businesses in general, um, you know, especially at this level, they're amplified. That small, you know, size matters in in risk, and in the in in small business, it's inherently risky. So, how much more risk do we apply um, post? Um, you know, post pandemic and that, you know, there's no, it's not like we're getting lots of transaction data. Um, if we have time at the, uh, at the tail end of this, I'll, I'll share, uh, some of the guidance that we've received from, uh, the associations and, and kind of where, where everybody is seeing, uh, deals going. Um, so I'll do that at the end. And then as far as expectations, you know, good luck. I mean, that's, that's the million dollar question, but it, it, but it always has been in small business, you know, forecasting a, you know, a million dollar company, you know, what is the next six months look like is probably easy. What does the next three years look like? Probably not so easy. And so we're, we're still in the same, we're still in the same camp. Um, but I, I, I don't think valuations are necessarily going to change. I do believe that the structure in order to accommodate the risk of the sale will change. And, and I was telling Larry the other day that, you know, I'm, I'm authoring with some other folks, um, you know, some recommendations for the small business council, uh, that Marcus Rubio, uh, is part of that, you know, right now, you know, earnouts exclude, um, uh, disqualify a deal with the SBA. You know that's a wonderful vehicle to mitigate buyer's risk, and that that needs you know that needs to get put back in. Same thing with with owners uh, transition. You know they can only stay right now. They can only stay a year. Well, you know if 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 they could stay two years, would it mitigate the buyer's risk and help them you know get in there? Um, so. So I think those are, are a couple of components that I don't think, again, I don't think valuations are going to change dramatically. Um, I do think uh, that there will, structure will change. 
So either of you two have any additional comments? Jamar? Yeah, I do have one follow-up here. And that's, it sounds like valuations are done in a way in a vacuum, especially using historical data. Um, And how does that compare with most probable selling price and the actual market value that um, the buyer uh, sees within that, that business? Because, you know, there are some buyers that may want to purchase a business at a discount because they see lower value in an industry or where it trends or others um, are looking to pick up a new business strategically so they can add customers versus spending money on new customer acquisition uh, via salespeople or advertisements or et cetera. So how do you really um, think and compare? How should we think about the historical and market data used for valuations traditionally and uh, what, and how buyers could see these deals right now. Yeah. Uh, Larry and I have, have uh, our dog and pony show has been, been surrounding that for most of my career and value and price are two different things. You know, I'm the, the, the value that I, that I share, this is the way a buyer should behave toward this investment, given all the other uh, alternative investments that they have. When it leaves my hands and it moves into your hands or Larry's hands, it's now you need to get that buyer to behave irrationally. Just by virtue of the process, you have you have people that are you know competing for the opportunity. So when they compete for that opportunity, you're you need to to facilitate a deal that's that's greater than fair market value. At least that's what I'm, I'm, I'm counting on. And normally what we, what we do see is, you know, either our valuation is, is pretty spot on or it's undervalued and it's undervalued from the standpoint of the price versus what the value, what I, what I came up with. And so, you know, it it's a different it it's a different animal. But like you're saying, it it is a, the empirical evidence. You know, it is what it is. But the process facilitates a premium, or you know, and, and again, you got to remember that the the number of businesses that don't sell is 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 substantial. So you you have that component to consider also. That you know these the and and it's not like real estate where you have thousands and thousands and thousands of, of market comps and you can drill so far in. I mean, you, if we have, you know, 20 or 30 that we can apply to the particular business, I mean, we're in pretty good shape. So anyway, Larry, I, I, I saw you locked and loaded. Go ahead. No, I'm not locked and loaded. I don't think that I know Ed talks about buyers acting irrationally, and that's not irrational compared to his statistics or his empirical data, maybe. But at the end of the day, the one thing that we've learned after 40 years in this business is that uh, if a deal goes together, that means buyer and seller are both happy. Uh, I can tell you if that if a deal does not go together, if the buyer thinks he's paying more, uh, than he should be paying, or the seller thinks he's getting less than he should be getting. At the end of the day, they both have to be happy. So I think what really happens is the process, uh, mm-hmm. the process will provide competitive bids, hopefully. And at the end of the day, the market speaks. The market is the market, and and it may be equal to what Ed comes up with value. It may be more. It may actually be less than what Ed comes up with. Because, and in this situation, I think the market is going to be very interesting. Uh, you can take it to the bank that every buyer that looks at a business, if that business was uh, impaired negatively as a result of the pandemic, the buyer is going to beat you up on valuation. That's just the way life is. That's been that way forever. If you have a down year, if you have two up years and one down year, they're going to beat you up based on the down year. But at the end of the day, if if you get uh, buyers looking at the business, you're going to end up getting a fair market value. So I think as we position the company, I think you've got to look at what happened to that business during this period of time. And can we foresee that happening again? 
And if it does happen again, then, yeah, there is going to be an impairment to the valuation. If this was a blip on the radar screen and we're six months past this and we're back just, I, I, I mean, I actually talked to a friend of mine that owned, I mean, you think food and beverage is getting really beat up today. Well, uh, he owned a, a group of fast food, a, a popular fast food chain. And while the numbers during the initial stages of this were down, he, it, some of the numbers today are equal to or better than they were for the same period last year. So a lot of businesses really are doing as well. They may have had that little blip. And you're not going to beat some guy up on his price because he had a one-month blip. Everybody had a one-month blip. But uh, I think uh, the process is still going to be very similar to what it's been in the past. But I think you're going to have to look very closely at those adjustments that we might do to EBITDA. Today, we add back a lot of things. We deduct certain things. And I think you're going to have to uh, focus on the financial impact of this short period of time. And there may be some addbacks as a result of that. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether the bank will accept those addbacks. But if you if they're thought out from a rational standpoint and presented logically, they'll probably accept some of it. Yeah, I know a number of 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 deal guys are 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 presenting the business in in trailing 12s so you know you're and and i don't know i haven't seen enough of it to to know whether or not it 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 dramatically changes the you know the position of the company but it but it is an interesting an interesting way to to i suppose put put the business in a different light you know well, we think about the negative impact of the pandemic on the financials. What about the positive impact? Sure. What about some of these companies that the revenue is up 500% period over period? Yep. You know, I'm not going to, if I'm doing the valuation, if I'm buying that business, I am not going to make the assumption that it's going to move forward at a 500% uh, increase every yep. month hereafter. So I think you've got to, you, you've got to adjust it accordingly. There's no way anyone's going to pay uh, a premium based on three months of record earnings based on something really, really unusual, yeah. or at least they shouldn't. Yeah, I get it. Now, if if you're selling, uh, if you're selling the uh, disinfectant hand wipes, those are probably going to be around for a while, and they're probably going to have significantly better sales than they've had in the past for a period of time. It's kind of like toilet paper. You can only use so much. All right. Um, our next question. So what are the, the threats to businesses uh, you see amid the, the current pandemic? Jamar, why don't you take that one? Sure. So one of the first things that I see as a threat to business um, during the current pandemic, first is um, not being able to shift uh, within what's happening in the marketplace. So the tough thing right now is that uh, things are changing on a daily basis. And there's also a lot of uncertainty coming from um, our national and our state leaders. Um, and really, that's not just from a, a policy perspective, but also how their decisions on their policy are being communicated. For example, um, the Indiana governor has a five-phase reopening plan and as I not only watched uh, the press conference and then the comments from the press conference and then the articles from the press conference and, um, you know, that kind of trail of information afterwards, people were just confused. Um, so being able to handle the new information coming in and making decisions off of something that seems uncertain um, is tough for leaders and tough for the business environment, um, but also shifting and thinking through um, you know, what do we do now? What type of strategic decisions do we make based on how things have changed? For example, Larry talked about um, different business sectors that may be way up or way down. And there are some companies that are shifting their operations based on other sectors that are up right now and really thinking of where they can actually still sell or um, how businesses are actually triaging. So I was reading an article in Indianapolis Monthly um, yesterday 
about how uh, a restaurateur with a group of restaurants, including the Rooster and Black Market um, and three others, um, how he had to make decisions in uh, Zion Square down in, in Fountain Square, how he had to make decisions about um, closing uh, four of his restaurants, but leaving Zion Square open for uh, takeout because they already had infrastructure for takeout. They already had people uh, ready to um, shift. The marketplace already knew them for takeout, but also had to make the tough decision about um, shutting down temporarily those other four restaurants. Um, so, you know, even though we're a couple months into this and the pace of change is starting to slow and we're also starting to understand um, what the at least short term impacts of this are, um, a lot of business owners have yet to turn the corner making the strategic shift and thinking critically about um, how the businesses are impacted. Um, one of the other things that, um, you know, us, we need to think about in terms of the market is how supply chain shifts. So it's really weird uh, that there are some farmers that are throwing away millions of gallons of milk uh, because there is uh, a lack of demand because of uh, food service and schools and restaurants purchasing. Um, but then on the flip side, because of um, coronavirus um, and COVID-19 hitting meat packing plants for beef and chicken, um, there is an undersupply. And I guess Wendy's is uh, preventing people from buying hamburgers, right? Mm. So um, uh, those are two examples in food, but supply chain with the number of workers, how fast products can get to people, um, the number of folks who are actually working in some of the uh, factories and distribution centers, um, that's going to be impacted as well. Um, and then finally, uh, just a general squishiness in the marketplace um, has been a, a result not only from uncertainty, but also people just being gun shy. Um, but with that uncertainty, there are a lot of business owners who will thrive during the midst of uncertainty and will thrive during an economic downturn because of uh, what they've done with their mentality and how they're shifting in the marketplace. So um, those are my thoughts, Ed. Thank you. Larry, you got anything? No, I'm good. Um. Let's see. The The next question, um, when do you foresee M&A activities will pick back up? Back to the crystal ball. Anybody? <clears throat> I would say the, the um, there's a slight slowdown today in the number of businesses coming on the market to sell. I think everyone's kind of in a holding pattern. They may have been thinking about it before all of this. Their numbers, their financials may be impacted negatively. And I think there's a, a little uh, a hold, a pause on uh, maybe thinking about, I think they'll continue to think about selling the business, but they're going to question whether this is the right time to put it on the market. So I, I've seen a little slowdown in the number of sellers that are, coming into the market. So I, I, I hope uh, as we get into the fall, uh, some of those people will start reconsidering it. And once again, I think they'll reconsider it based on what's going on at that period of time with their business and with the economy. So I, I would think, I, I, I feel like it should start picking back up uh, third and fourth quarter, fourth quarter for sure. Okay. Um, like I said, I, I have some, so I do have one, please. Sure. So I do have one kind of follow-up thought, um, for Larry and, uh, really to get your feedback on this as well as fill in the blanks. But, um, I guess for those business owners who are gun shy about putting their business on the market, um, why is now a good time to begin that process? Um, as I've been having conversations with some of our clients, we've been talking about, um, one, the length of time it actually takes to get your business on the market between developing the marketing materials and um, you know, clean, physically cleaning up their business and getting their financials together, and et cetera. Um, second, you know, with the length of time it takes to sell a business, um, six, eight, 12 months of being on the marketplace, um, of being prepared for the market uh, and on the market when things start to turn around, 
the availability of additional financing of vehicles like you talked about before. Um, so, I mean, what are some of the other things we should think about in terms of why now is a good time to, to get back and, and put our businesses on the market? Well, that's a, that's a good add on to my comment because based on what I just said, I really think now would be a good, if you're thinking about selling, I, I don't think, I don't think there's a downside to putting it on the market today. And the upside is that there is not as much noise in the market. There is not as much competition when buyers are looking at businesses to buy. And there's still many buyers. We're still getting a lot of calls from buyers. Uh, and I think a lot of these buyers are folks that, uh, uh, you know, they're looking at the current situation like most entrepreneurs have historically. I don't really want to work for the other guy, especially if there is a chance that uh, my employment could go away at the flick of a pen or a flick of a virus or whatever. So I think the buyers are still out there, but there aren't as many sellers. I think today's a good time if you're thinking about selling. At the end of the day, you're going to sell for the price you're going to sell for. And uh, if you don't want to sell for the, if the market tells you that your business is worth 20% less than you thought it was, you don't have to sell. But right now, I think there's not as much competition. When a buyer comes in here, there is less inventory for that buyer to look at than there was a year ago at this time. And I just look at the deals we've got in the pipeline right now. We've got uh, probably a dozen businesses that we have offers signed both ways, and they're all going to close in the next <clears throat> 30 to 90 days. That's another dozen businesses that are no longer available for anyone to look at. So I think if I were a seller, it's not a bad time at all to be thinking about put, put your business on the market and let's see what the market looks like. Yeah. And, and as we were just doing our, our month end stats and I mean, the number of, the number of buyers that are, that are entering into our world or into our sphere looking for deals is increasing and and I think what you you find at the conclusion of any kind of economic you know storm like we have whether it be a recession or a war or or uh, a pandemic I think you find that people get displaced and they're not they're not going to let that happen to themselves again and they start looking at at how to to get into business for themselves, and and so we're, we we've seen an increase in our buyer throughput, and so and that's that's why we're we're doubling down so hard on our on our sell side work is because you know it it's a really good time to be thinking about them, and I don't mean it from a commercial standpoint. I'm, I I truly mean it from from a from a a business owner standpoint that as far as positioning your company now is a, is a, a really good time because it's going to take time to sell it. And I do think that the, there's going to be available financing. I do not believe that the federal government is going to let the $13 trillion wealth transfer just evaporate. Um, so having said that, I mean, I, I think that we're, we're, we're going to see an influx. Now, I think you're, you're also going to see a slew of, um, of businesses that, you know, are, are on their last legs and, you know, somebody take this, you know, I don't want any cheese. I just want out of the trap kind of thing. And that's going to be, I think we're going to see a, a lot of that too. But at the same time, th those are going to probably be some really good opportunities for somebody. And absolutely, yeah. You know, whether it's growing through acquisition or what, I, I don't, I don't know, but I do think that that from an inventory standpoint, we will, we will certainly jump. Um, and there are some of those businesses that are going to be in trouble that are in trouble, and they may not necessarily be in trouble as a result of this pandemic. They went into the pandemic; uh, they may not have been managed well going into it. So they obviously were not managed well uh, coming out of it, and they couldn't come out of it. So you're going to get management situations. You're going to get undercapitalized situation. If you go into a situation like this and you're undercapitalized, that's the anchor that, that's going to drag you down. But if you, as a buyer, have the magic sauce, 
You can bring better management to it. You can bring more capital to it. You may be able to bring, once again, the magic sauce that the previous owner didn't have, and you're going to get a real bargain buying that business. Yeah. Um, a question that came in uh, through the chat. Uh, what typically are the underwriting ratios you think will tighten? I don't. I don't know about you. I'm not certain that debt covered that debt coverage ratio of one three is going to change much. It's been that for a hundred years, so it's probably not going to change dramatically. Uh, I think there is a chance that, from an underwriting standpoint, the SBA may tighten up on the amount of equity that uh, they might require, uh, which could be, you know, partially. Um, cash equity from the buyer and standby seller financing. So they may tighten a little bit on that. And some of the banks may tighten up a little bit. Just once again, based on the current economy and the unknown about the next six months to a year. So I think, but I don't see like the debt, debt to, you know, debt to equity might change a little bit, but the debt coverage ratio of, you know, how much, free cash flow you've got to have to service that debt. I don't think that'll change dramatically. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I, I, the, the interesting thing is like, like you were saying with the bank, that the bank is requiring, you know, the additional scrutiny um, to mitigate their risk, which is, which I think is the, is the more prevalent speed bump than debt, you know, trying to make it fit in the box. I think, you know, they're trying to perfect their loan and I get it. Um, but again, most of the risk is with the buyer, not necessarily with that, uh, with that lender, you know, the lender, especially SBA. So the, and the, and for those of you who don't know, the mechanics of the, the SBA loan is that you have a primary lender, which is the banks that we all know. And they have a guarantee, the federal government guarantees a portion of that loan and typically what, 75, 80%, right? Um, right. And so there, our, our local bank is only, you know, has exposure of, you know, 20 to 25%. And that's what, that's what we're talking about is, you know, does that, you know, when you look at risk, you know, and they're requiring uh, additional scrutiny, you know, for their 20% versus, you know, the personal guarantee from the buyer, as well as the, the SBA that's guaranteeing 75%. So. Well, I think at the end of the day too, the underwriting, uh, the other, they're certainly not going to loosen it up dramatically because the bigger issue for the bank is their historical performance with SBA loans. So right. they, they have a preferred, a certified uh, lender status, which allows them to uh, uh, basically underwrite, commit, fund, document the loan internally, which makes it go a lot quicker uh, and a lot easier. They do, and, and most important, they get a ton of fees. The bank makes a ton of fees as a result of doing SBA loans. They do not want to lose that. So they're not going to loosen their underwriting criteria and take the chance of running into loan losses on SBA loans in the future because they'll lose that certified status. So I think they're going to continue to underwrite fairly tight. The other thing that I've just seen recently, and this is first time ever, um, we have a transaction that is pretty far along and the bank has, has requested, they always, if there's real estate involved, they always want a real estate appraisal. They want a business valuation done almost any time the loan's over $250,000. If there's real estate, you've got all the normal real estate, environmental appraisal, et cetera. And in this case, uh, they are requesting a quality of earnings report from an independent third-party accountant. What is that? What is a quality of earnings report? Well, that's, that's the first time I've ever seen a Q of E report requested by the bank. So basically the best way I can describe it, it's a mini audit. It's a mini audit that's done by the CPA firm uh, where they basically dig in and, and, you know, if the business has 5 million in revenue, we want to satisfy ourselves that that 5 million in revenue is real, that it came from the operations of the business, not selling used cars out the back door, 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we're looking at, you know, uh, if you got 6 million, it, it's a, it's an audit. They're going to look at, you got 6 million in revenue. They're going to look at the bank statements during that year. And they're going to make sure that, you know, that 6 million in revenue that's on the books actually got deposited into the bank. And they're going to do some ticking and tying and, and tracing some of that just to once again, satisfy themselves that the earnings that have been reported uh, are fairly accurate. Not 100% accurate, just fairly accurate. Now, you can have a limited scope quality of earnings, which we might just focus strictly on revenue. Uh, you might have another limited scope that would focus on cost of goods sold only. You know, is it accurate? Is it, uh, is it counted, accounted for in the proper method? So, once again, just think of it as a mini audit. And it can, and they can change the scope. And I, my question to the bank was, under what circumstance is this an SBA policy or a bank policy? And in this situation, it's a bank policy. Uh, they started it back in the fall, and so my question was, under what circumstances do you request or require a Q of E report? And they basically said that if the loan's over two million dollars, and and or the buyer has a limited or no experience in the industry. And actually, at the end of the day, uh, performing a Q of E is probably a really good idea under under those two circumstances. Mm. Now, I haven't seen it with any other bank, only one bank so far, but it could catch yeah. on. And I'm sure if the accountants have anything to say about it, they'll lobby hard for that. Yeah. Um, Jamar, uh, I wanted to ask you. I mean, I, I've seen that you've been a panelist on a on a number of different areas, or in a d number of different areas. What uh, what are you hearing and feeling from from the small business owners that that you're serving and that you're speaking in front of? Sure, and I talked about this a little bit earlier. Yeah, um, one of the pieces is the uncertainty, um, but what we've been countering with is is how to think about this downturn. Um, so I did a little bit of research and since the Great Depression, um, any average economic downturn has lasted nine months. Uh, the longest was two years. Um, since the Spanish flu of 1918, um, any flu-specific pandemic, um, the longest that that's lasted is two years, but there are also shorter flu pandemics that were about six months. So um, for all the doom and gloom business owners out there that are thinking that the sky is falling, it's not. And over the last century, it hasn't. Now, there have certainly been some tough times, uh, yes, but the reality is that this thing is gonna end. Um, and as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, and as those who are uh, maybe involved in transactions, getting out or into or adding on to businesses, um, we've got to be prepared and ready, uh, not just for the end of this thing, but how to get through it. So that's, that's number one, is, is just how to think about what's going on right now. Um, the second thing is uh, access to financing. Um, there's a lot of pain out there right now with business owners trying to figure out how do I, how do I get through payroll um, over the course of the next two weeks, month, quarter, et cetera. How do I help my team um, that's really suffering? Um, and the other half of that is, is that um, as they continue to operate, um, you've got to take a lot of time to research uh, what all these resources are. Um, so, uh, you know, sure, a couple, obviously, uh, Larry mentioned the SBA and CARES Act uh, relief that's out there. Indy Chamber and the city of Indianapolis just released, uh, I think it was $25 million um, in relief, which isn't a ton, but it's additional relief. Uh, LISC um, has just released $5,000 small business grants. So again, not a huge amount of money, but when we compile all these things together, they're helpful. Um, I believe it's Kat Sapper Miller has a um, uh, COVID-19 relief page on their website uh, with not only accounting and financial help, but also financing help to find additional sources of funds. So um, these things are out there and they are compiled. Um, uh, but, you know, those two things in terms of general feeling is one, getting people's minds right and getting the money mm -hmm. tight. Um, and that's, that's what's going on in the marketplace. 
Um, yeah, and for the small business owners that are that are currently on on the line, if you go to the state, uh, the state COVID resources area. I mean, we just um, they have uh, you know where they'll give you masks, uh, shields, uh, sanitizer, and a couple other things. Any it, it, based on the size of your company, so you know zero to fifty employees gets this package, fifty to hundred gets this package, and, and it's free. So um, if you just go to uh, in.gov, and I believe it's COVID, um, that'll that'll uh, that'll get that that's a free resource from the state. Um, all right. So next question: If uh, valuation expect expectations are not changing much for sellers, how should buyers think about an earnout as a percentage of the transaction price to re- to reduce risk? Either mm-hmm. of you, or you want me to take it? A percentage. Yep. So if valuation expectations are not changing much for sellers, how should buyers think about an earnout as a percentage of the transaction price to, re- to reduce risk? Well, I would just have to say that's, that's much more of an individual transaction uh, consideration. I, I think you've got to look at the you know if it were negatively impacted during this you know what what's the risk of not returning uh is this a situation that's going to continue uh, for a short period of time or a long period of time you know is it a six month recovery or a two or three year recovery to get back to normal so i think i think you're just going to have to look at each individual deal but i would certainly uh, I would see, you know, that's a tough one. I, I think it should be, a, I'd like to see it be a minimal amount uh, on the earn out, but depending on the situation, I mean, it could be a significant amount right. of the purchase price is tied up in a performance based payment. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the first thing uh, for you as the, the buyer that's, that's looking at this, this situation, you know, are you going to need SBA financing based on the current regulations? If you're going to employ an earnout as your risk mitigating vehicle, it's going to disqualify you. And so, if you have the capital to to finance it, then that's one thing, and and you could probably, you know, lop as much as you can into the into the if then financing earnout vehicle. Um, but if you're looking at you know conventional financing or SBA financing, I think you're you're in for a, a, a long a long road. But I you know, and in that case, if you're if you are looking at SBA financing, then you might be able to uh, deploy what's called a self canceling promissory note. It basically acts as an earnout, but is uh, in the form of an is in the form of a promissory note. All right, Jamar, you got anything? On that, okay. I uh, I have now. You guys haven't seen this, but this just came out. Um, can you? Uh, you should be able to see my screen. This is from the. Um, this is called the Market Pulse from the uh, from the International Business Brokers Association. Uh, this just this just rolled out, and if you guys want to comment as I go through it, um, you know that that's fine. And like I said, these guys haven't seen it either. Uh, it just literally came out. So you can see that, you know, roughly half of the deals are, have been uh, delayed and about 10% of these deals have been canceled. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Reason for cancel is cancel cancellation. So again, buyers pulled back here, you know, less than 2 million, greater than 2 million. So again, it's about 50, 50 that the buyer canceled quarter um the seller canceled and then which to me this part is the most interesting thing is that the the banks were still there but i guess when we look at the composition of the the 12 deals we have i mean the banks are still there we may just be on hold but they're still they're still hanging in um, well as an example as a yeah example on that one on hold you know we've got one business that is uh, uh, non-essential so it was closed during this period of time uh, 
the bank is still going to finance it, but they won't finance it until the business reopens, which should be next week. Yeah. So once they reopen, the bank will step in and finance the acquisition. So we were talking about, you know, how, how long of a delay this will be. Um, so you can see, you know, one to 30 days, you know, very few think so. Most people think that, you know, it's going to be a 90 day plus ride, um, in order to, to get these things closed. So it's, it's somewhere between 50 or 50 or 45 and 90 days that, uh, to get the deals done that that are currently on now we're not like i said we're not seeing seeing that but and we participated in this survey um let's see businesses that uh, are for sale what what happened to them um 40 percent were were uh at partial capacity four percent benefited 21 percent were un, unaffected and 35 percent were temporary closed so for the valuation questions, 81% of people um, or deal deal folks um, expect that valuations will decline. Uh, it's, but I, I, again, I don't, I don't see a huge change. I mean, like Larry was saying, I mean, we were talking 10, 20%, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to lose 10 or 20% in your stock portfolio, what would possibly give you the indication that you weren't going to lose money in your small business. Um, I don't think, let's see. I don't think I, yeah. Um, market sediment. I think I have a, you know, here's, here's, you know, kind of how, how the, the seller's market goes, you know, it, they're all decreasing. Um, and again, this was, uh, you know, this is quarter. This is quarter over quarter. Okay, this is this number here is from 2013 to 2020. Okay, so uh, let's see where are business valuations trending. Um, so as you can see, I mean, there, you know, there there's a little bit of a, a dip in each category, with the exception of the 500 to a million. Um, you know, we were thinking, you know, valuations were going, you know, per, you know, price the, and this chart that we're looking at is the final price realized versus the asking price. You know, this is, this is uh, a lot of the deals here in the 500 to a million range. And again, um, I think that's by virtue of the process that, uh, you get a, a, a higher, uh, sale price. Now the multiples, um, so I, just yeah. going back to that last chart. Yeah. And so basically this is saying Q1 2020 and the tail end of Q1 was obviously the beginning of the economic blip. Uh, but um, so this is saying that the final price that was gotten from the deal versus asking price is actually higher in almost all cases except for uh, Greater than five. The larger deals. Right. So we started out very strong this year. Yeah. But I think everybody, I, I think, I think, you know, you saw our throughput. I mean, it, we were, and we still are. I mean, there, there's a lot of activity. Again, like I was saying in, in uh, some of the, 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 the material that I'm authoring is, you know, this wealth transfer isn't going to stop. So, that's that's where why we need the SBA to come alongside. It, even though we have a pandemic, they need to come alongside and, and help us out. And this this is kind of the same thing that we're we were coming out strong and and I don't think we're we may pause for a minute while we catch our breath, but I think it's going to pick right back up. Yeah, I saw one of the comments on the sidebar of the support and it talked about how those that were nearing retirement and wanted to sell because of retirement, that's not going to change. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're yeah. still nearing the end of running that business. So, you know, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the companies that were in poor financial state, uh, nearing retirement, um, owners who uh, are ill, that need to get out, um, buyers who may have lost their job, don't want to deal with the uncertainty and want to you know, purchase their next, uh, their next job through business or, businesses that are an acquisition, those deals are, are still going to happen. It's, it's all good. Yeah. 
So uh, market multiples, again, you know, it's not like it's the stock market where it's a total wild ride. Um, uh, you can see that the multiples slipped in the, the lower middle market this quarter, uh, dropping below uh, market peaks. Um, historically, the multiples on Main Street have varied with, within about a 10% range. Cash at close. So for my for the fellow with the earnout question, you can see, you know, here's here's some guidance on on these earnouts um, and seller financing. So typically, you know, you're running, you know, 80, 8, 75 to 80 percent cash at close plus um, uh, plus, you know, a component of, of seller financing, um, you know, 10 to you know, or 8 to 17 percent. Um, and that hasn't really changed. Let me see if there's anything else. Why are they selling? You can see the biggest reason is because of retirement. Okay. Um, and that, again, that's not going to change. Um, this is, you know, who the buyers are, you know, for those sub half million dollars, most of them are first time buyers. Those that are under a million, again, half of them are first time buyers. One to 2 million, again, uh, first time buyers. Um, you know, and then we start, once we get north of $2 million in, in, in transaction value, you know, it starts moving into, you know, strategic buyer, you know, there's, there's certainly some people that, uh, are acquiring, um, you know, as a job, but most, you know, as we start moving up, the, up the growth or the size chain, we, uh, start seeing, you know, businesses that are, um, you know, business acquiring business to, uh, grow through acquisition. And then five to 50 million tend to be uh, private equity or strategics. So what are they buying now? Uh, <laughs> you know, you can see that it's, uh, you know, sub sub half million, it's, you know, a quarter of the time it's restaurants, personal services, and then consumer goods and then healthcare and half a million to a million healthcare to personal services. Once you get north of a million in transaction value, you're moving construction, engineer, personal services, manufacturing will always be there, uh, wholesale distribution, and then north of five, a uh, quarter of the time, it's healthcare, wholesale, and business services. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that's that's that. Um, you can, if you go to uh, the Pepper, Pepperdine Grisadio uh, Business School, they are the ones that manage this. Um, let, me, let me get over here any other questions i know we're we're um we're coming to um you know to the to the end of our time so anybody else have any questions all right larry you got any final thoughts no, I think I'm good for the day. My crystal ball is about as foggy as it can be. Excellent. Well, Jamar will come through for us. Jamar, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say uh, that uh, statement you made that there's a lot of sellers who don't want any cheese. They just went out of the trap. Um, I think I'm going to take that one to the bank and write it in my, my journal. Uh, that's a saying for the that for posterity well you know the funny thing is i i have to give credit where credit's due the guy to the left of you on my screen is the one that that authored that um so i don't know and i don't know where he got he authored that because he's been in that position many times right so so and i'll close this up by by saying you know you know we've been around for 40 years and we've had an open shop and anybody that that uh, you talk to will attest to it that, you know, we we're generous with what we can give you. And if we need to turn the meter on, we'll let you know, uh, having exploratory conversations and, and things like that, that's, you know, that's what we do. We do it every day. This recording, um, will be Chelsea. will send that out to everyone that, that, uh, registered with us and we will be happy to, you know, field questions from there. It'll also be on our podcast, Defenders of Business Value, that'll be uh, released later on today also. Um, so our next session, uh, I got I got a, a last minute question. Our, what's our cadence? Our cadence, um, you know, we'll show up as long as people have questions. And right now it seems as though uh, every other week 
seems to be good. Uh, if you go sign up for our newsletter, Chelsea uh, regularly pelts people with with these opportunities to come visit with us. So if you want to uh, to be part of that, just sign up for the newsletter. Uh, you can reach out to Jamar or Larry or any if you're working with a broker in the in our office, reach out to them and just make sure that uh, they'll take care of you. So with that, we on behalf of uh, Indiana Business Advisors, we thank you for your time and and we hope to serve you sometime. Thanks. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.